Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the First Cut Podcast, Monday edition, uh, WGC Mexico Championship Week, just off of Riviera. I've got a special guest today. We're supposed to have two special guests, but one of them, uh, he, he technical difficulties. He's he he was struggling. Mark Emmelman had had a tough time with his uh his microphone this morning. But we do have Will Haskett uh, of the Perfect Number Podcast, PGA Tour Radio. Will, you were at uh, you were at Riviera last week. How how are you doing? Are you are you still high on on what went down over the weekend? Kyle, I'm high before I get there, and then when the actual tournament um, provides the same amount of buzz, it's yeah. I mean, I need rehab really to get over the week because the course was so good, the field was so good. And a major championship broke out on Sunday. So what more can you want, right? It kind of did. And, and, and we talked about, I talked about this with Rick Gaiman on Sunday night is it felt, it felt US opening. It really did. It did. And I, I'm curious about you, you were there. You're, you're, there's a lot going on. What, what is, when, when you think back on this event, uh, and, and, and even today, like on Monday, what, what's the moment or two that you think back on of like, wow, that's where the, that's where the tournament swung. That's the moment that I'll remember, uh, when I think about this tournament. Yeah. You know, I think of, I mean, the fifth hole is obviously the most important part of that tournament and what happened with the decision making of, of Adam Scott and Roy McElroy to have the course management mistake to miss that green long and then to compound the error by getting trying to get cute and both of them tried to get it up and down for part five it with two different methods of being able to do it and then adam scott finally realizing you know i'm just going to put it up this slope and, and rory then making a mess of it with the putter afterwards is that you're thinking this early in the round we're already nosing ahead of the field if we both make bogey here it doesn't really matter we're still going to be in control of being able to do it and then i, th- I guess it's, that's one a and then one b is how they emotionally reacted to it after that like yeah. adam gets up on 6T after that and and hits a great shot, puts himself above the hole, and then makes a putt, which he hadn't done all week. And Rory hits this wiper out to the right, just a easy late uh, swing, leaves himself nothing. I mean, the fact he made four was probably the best score he was going to walk off of that green. And then it felt like it was two hours until you saw Rory get over being sucker punched by himself at that part of the golf course. And we talked about it a lot on the air. Mark Carnival was my analyst this week on PGA Tour Radio. And, and we, for the whole week, we were just admiring, you know, new Rory, new, I don't get rattled. I just walk around with this just great understanding and calmness to me. And then for two hours, it was like he was sulking, like he couldn't figure out what had just happened. And it, it leaked into his swing. Like his swing just was gone after that for a while. Yeah, it, it certainly, you know, he did have opportunities on, I think it was like 9, 10, uh, 12, something like that to make a bunch of birdies and kind of claw his way back into it. And he just, he, he couldn't, he couldn't get anything going. And, and so I agree with you. I, I think five was it. I, I'm curious about, you know, I think it, it was interesting because you see a lot of different people 
uh, talk about Riviera and they talk about how, how great it is. And I think sometimes they're talking about different things. I think some people are talking about the aesthetics. I think some people are talking about the architecture. What, what for you as you're kind of, uh, at that place and seeing these guys play it, why, like, what for you makes Riviera great? Because I think there's a number of different angles that you could kind of come at that from. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and admit that I have any idea what's going on architecturally to make a golf course great <laughs> or not. Like, put me on a Muni goat ranch and with a six pack of beer and we can go have just as much fun as if I'm playing Pebble Beach. But I think from covering the PGA Tour and covering the professionals, it's a golf course where it, there's no gimmicks. I mean, there's a couple of red staked penalty areas at Riviera, but there's no water. I mean, you don't need, you know, a Florida swamp or 7,500 yards with eight inch rough to protect par on a golf course when, when we didn't have any rain for the whole week, you can get the Poe pretty bouncy and you have to play the angles game. And even though some of those holes were shortened because of how much run out there was, you could still be on the right side. Of the fairway, but it's the wrong side, if you know what I'm saying, for some of those holes that are going into it. And I think it's just knowing that that golf course can get tougher and the fact that even though – the weirdest thing about this is I always say that anybody can win on that golf course, even though the last few years have shown us that if you can really pipe the ball for some reason, you have an even, I think, larger advantage than some other places. And so maybe we'll look at it in five or ten years and say, okay, Riviera's become more of a bomber's paradise I mean, golf in and of itself has become more of a bomber's paradise. So let's not really try and, and dial this thing down a little bit. But I, I think it just has to do with the fact that it requires all these different types of shots and it can have all different types of drama. You can see a hole out. You can see a chip in. It had more hole outs than any golf course in the PGA Tour last year because of the size of the greens. So you can have out of nowhere – Joel Damon just going along making pars. No one's talking about him. And then he's the only person that can string together back-to-back birdies on the back nine. And he's all of a sudden really, really relevant and might even win the golf tournament. That's what I love about it because it's always so bunched. And there's just something – I mean there's a mystique to it. It just feels different as a golf course because of everything that it has. It has a scorable couple of holes. It has the drivable par four at 10. It has some really meaty par fours. It's just – it reeks of history without – I think a little bit without pretentiousness or overhype, to be honest with you. I don't think it's hyped enough. Is that crazy? No, I, I think you're right. And, and I think it's, I think it is funny because I think, it, especially us in the media, we're like, oh, anybody can win here. Sung Kang played great. And then you look at the last five Scott winners. Brown. Yeah. You, you look at the last five winners. It's Adam Scott, Bubba, no, no. Yeah. And DJ and JB Holmes. And you're like, oh, well, can anybody win here? Because yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem like it. But I'm glad you brought up the, the architecture, like the, the, the part about being on the right side of the fairway, because one of the points that I used to kind of prove why Riviera is, is, it, and this goes back to the major championship thing, why it's great. You look at, uh, 13 on Sunday, par yeah. four, playing like 475. And there was only like three or four birdies on the day, and all three of them came uh, from guys that hit their drive up the right side. Now it doesn't—it's not like a dogleg hole, but because of where the pin was back left on that hole, you yep. you had to have the right angle to be able to play a draw coming in. And if you didn't have that, you're gonna you're gonna fly it long and left or wherever. And if you do that, you're dead. There, there's, you, you're not making birdie from, from, from down into the left beyond that hole. And I think there's, there's so many holes like that with no water at all on this course that make it so fascinating. And, and I think we saw that. I, I, I mean, I couldn't get enough. Like I, I want to, I want them to play that course like five times a year. Adam Scott and Rory McIlroy went five over on a par four without losing a golf ball. Yeah. 
It's great. I mean, and people are like, oh, I don't want to see that. It's like, well, that's what makes golf super interesting. And I think that, you know, it wasn't, it, it was a U.S. Open without the absurdity of a U.S. Open, right? And so yeah. I think that's, I think that part of U.S. Open, like championship level golf is what people love without the just nonsense of protecting par or whatever else. Yeah, well, you said it and forget the golf course, right? As soon as the weather forecast was what it was on Tuesday, the entire grounds crew was like, all right, well, we'll just go, we'll trim them, the greens every day, and that, that's about it. We'll just let the golf course sit here, and we, you know, they, they weren't in danger of losing the golf course. It got really firm and really fast. If you remember, you'd be complaining like hell when you came back into the clubhouse about how firm they let it get. But for those guys, it, the golf course is right in front of you, and it didn't blow at all all week. I mean, there wasn't two miles an hour wind to speak of yeah. Thursday through Saturday. And then just somehow, some way we got like eight miles an hour yesterday into the player's face as they were coming on the back nine when you got to 12, 13, 14. And I was like, Oh boy. Now we haven't had, these guys haven't even had to think about wind for three and a half days. And now they just get maybe like a half club of wind while they're trying to play over bunkers to tight angles. And it was perfect. So you are, what, what else is there beside, you've got perfect number of podcasts, you got PGA Tour radio, where, where else, is, where, where else is your voice, is your, is your face these days? Um, I mean, golf is, has always been a love and a passion to me, but I've called 14 different sports in my life from a play by play standpoint. Um, we don't have time in this podcast to name them all. Uh, so we'll just, we'll, you know, golf is a big part of it, but I actually came up covering the college game a lot. I think my, one of my bigger breaks was I was doing a lot of NCAA championships and the folks found out I had a golf background. I started doing the NCAA championships. So before golf channel had, um, the championships, when they got the men's, I want to say in 2014 was the first year golf channel had it. Cause I called Max Homa's national championship, which was the year that JT and Alabama won it the first time. So it would have been 13 yeah. was my last year doing the men's. Um, so we're hoping to get more college golf out to things. So, you know, a little bit of a plug here right now is there's a, a, a group right now trying to bring more college golf to a streaming population this spring season. So I'll be out in Palm Springs this week on Wednesday for the uh, final round of the prestige great tournament field there. Texas is in the field with Cole Hammer. Pepperdine's in the field with Sahit Tegala. So, I mean, you've got some really good young amateur names that are there. And I think that if you look at the best amateur golfers that we've had over the last 15, 20 years, the top college players or two, they all matriculate and become really, 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 really good professionals too. And if you want to see high level golf, we'll go there. So yeah, there's, there's college golf there. I got a basketball game on Sunday though, Kyle. So, you know, we'll, we'll get it all in. <laughs> I think Oklahoma State's in that prestige tournament as well. I think they, I think they won it last year when they had finished uh... second. That was the year that Matthew Wolf. So I did, I covered it last year too. And Matt Wolf had won four starts in a row or three yeah. starts in a row. And then Hovland won. One individually, but That's the right. team ended up losing to LSU, who's all, kind of been like the giant killer. You, you think about all these big blue blood programs over the last couple of years, and then LSU comes out of nowhere and beats them in either big regular season events, wins the SEC, or in the case of a few years back, wins the whole thing. Wins so the when, you're do, when you're doing an event like that, or even like a Riviera, where you're out there walking around, different storylines, how do you go into a week preparing for something like that? Because there's so many different things that can happen. What what does your process look like for going into to something like that? 
So, I mean, for like a PGA Tour week, if I'm doing a PGA Tour radio event, this past week I got the host. Most of the time I'm on the ground calling golf shots. You know, you kind of know who the players are that you're going to be following at the beginning of the week. And, I mean, you know, Kyle, I mean, we're just information junkies. You know, you just stay yeah. plugged as much as possible and you absorb as much as you can so you can remember this little anecdote. So when yesterday when Max Homa plays his way into contention, you can sit there and tell all the fun stories about him coming to see the playoff uh, between Tiger and Mayfair back in 1998 and all these sort of, you know, local tie-in type of stories you can try and connect the audience a little bit to it but a lot of it is just is witnessing it and talking to people now the professional game is so far different i mean i cannot wait to get to out to california for a college event because a high-end college event you can literally walk up to the guy getting warmed up for his round on the range and sit there and stop him while he's hitting pitching wedges and talk to him about his game you can't get away with that on the pga tour unless it's maybe monday or tuesday on the practice range so i just love the access i just love how at this stage in an, an amateur's career how open they are to just talk about the fun of the game before the handlers, the agents, the marketing reps all come in and you get these bubbles and insulated circles that really isolate even those of us. Look, I'm a total shill. I mean, my, my check comes from the PGA Tour when I work for PGA Tour Radio. Like, I'm not going to say anything negative about a guy on the air because I will get fired for doing so. And yet, like, no one wants to talk to you because they're just sort of programmed not to. So it's so yeah. refreshing to me to deal with college athletes because – it's it's way more fun. It's way more laid back, and you can get so much more intel on in that day leading up, or even the morning leading up to a big final round. How does that bother you at all? Not being able to say anything negative, because I think I think sometimes you you see the compare like the 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 great stories come from the drama of like good and bad, or you know all these different narratives in in sports. How, how do you how do you maintain that drama with with only like trying to to be positive throughout? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I think it's difficult for anybody. I mean, the fact that I work for an entity that's owned by the tour, it doesn't make it even that much different than your entity or any other entity that has a relationship with the tour to begin with. All right. I think I'm going to look at this from a broader picture in terms of sports. I mean, as a student of sports broadcasting, something I've always wanted to do my entire life, we live in an era now where before, 30, 40 years ago, a generation before, the broadcast entity all the power. They had the money. They were the ones that were bringing the sports to the masses. They were the ones that were actually more profitable than the entities themselves. Now it's the teams, it's the organizations, it's the governing bodies. All of these are the ones that have the actual money and they have the power and they're flexing it into the, into every avenue of it. And, you know, it is, it's, it's really challenging. It's really tough. It's like, how do you address some of the, some of the obvious things that are out there? And sometimes you just can't. And I'll fully admit that I have to grit my teeth and just kind of deal with it that way. But the hope is that you can, the hope is that the storyline is out there enough that you can somehow pivot back to what we're all hoping to talk about. And that is the golf itself. Like my hope is that the golf itself is what you're tuning in for. And hopefully it doesn't turn into a circus that you have to kind of dance around. That's not the easiest way for me to answer that question, but you can understand how my hands are a little bit tied on it too. Yeah, totally. This sounds like a jumping off point for like a three hour conversation about the Premier Golf League, but, uh, we will, you want to move on to Mexico instead? Is it, is it real? I mean, I just did a podcast on it a couple of weeks ago. So I, look, I, Michael Bamberger's piece is the only one I've read that actually puts something out there that is tangibly better than maybe what the product is right now. All I just keep thinking of is, okay, what is going to be the World Golf Championships outcome of this negotiation ploy in the next couple of years like what is the 2.0 of giving elite players a little bit more but you know the status quo is going to stay right 
I mean, that it it certainly feels like leverage for uh, the top 15 guys and specifically around the WGCs because those are the ones that can be, you know, those are those are the big tournaments that everybody plays in that can be affected the most. You're not you can't change the major championships. PGA Tour didn't even didn't even run the major championships, and so yeah, like that's that is the pressure point it seems like and and throwing the players i mean they just announced what a 14 million dollar purse or 13 million or whatever it was yeah, the first domino yeah and so i mean that's what it seems like but i don't know it's happened in other sports you know where it's where it's flipped and gone to uh kind of a different model um but i don't know i it's difficult to envision that it's just so it's such an extreme change in such a conservative sport that it just doesn't seem like it would happen. Um, the NFL swallowed up the XFL in one year, 20 years ago. We have the XFL <laughs> 2.0 now, and what is it? It's NFL Lite. So, yeah. so I, I threw this out there, and I'll fully fall on this sword as my wacky idea to it all. But I could foresee, or, or maybe even dream of a scenario where you have world governing bodies that sort of unite and come together and so do we take the world golf championships do we take the fedex cup playoffs the race to dubai and a few others and create an elite series to where you could effectively qualify either pga tour and kind of have your pick of all of the tournaments across like if you're an american and you want to go play the turkish open and the irish and the the italian open and whatever you'll have on the schedule over there instead of playing the Byron Nelson and um, you know Wells Fargo, you sort of can. Or if you're a Frenchman and you're like, I've always wanted to go play over here, you kind of have a world-ish tour that has an elite level of events to it. I could maybe see it if you truly feel like you're going to get enough players at the top of the game who feel as if they aren't valued enough and want to break party lines with their buddies who are just outside that window or they know could be back in that window the next year. That's the biggest one to me. It's like, how do you have, what's your eligibility? Like, do you get demoted? Is there relegation from the PGL? Like, what, where are we going here? Oh, and what do you do when you're injured? You know, if you, if you have to have a certain amount of guys, like do guys get elevated mid year? So for people who don't know, we're talking about the premier golf league and it's been, it's been definitely a conversation, but essentially it's a, uh, 48 player league that's been thrown out there by, uh, some, some investors, some companies that want to invest and get into professional golf at the highest level. There's a team component to it. Uh, it, it's a season that would include, I've heard anywhere from 10 to 18 events with a team aspect at the end of it. So somebody like Rory or DJ or Adam Scott, they would have a team that they play on. And so you, you kind of add up those scores throughout the year, but you're also contending as an individual. And the, 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 the through line, the thing that holds it all together would be that there's a, there's a lot more, there's a lot more money in it. And I think that's, I mean, it's obviously compelling for guys like Rory and DJ and, and Adam Scott and Tiger and whoever. Uh, and, and you're like, well, how, how, how could they come in with more money than like the PGA tour would, would generate? And, and that's the question. Like, I, I don't, right. I don't know how all of this works together. And I, I, I don't know. It, it, I think that, you know, Rory said this at Torrey Pines. He said, look, they, these guys have been talking to us, uh, for a for while, like, for like five years, six years about doing this. And basically we'll see how it goes. Uh, now that talk I think has, has heated up a lot more, uh, over the last three months or whatever. But I just, 
I, I don't, I don't envision that going anywhere in the near future. Although I've heard some things behind the scenes that you're like, well, maybe it will. I, I, I don't know. I think I, I, I talked to Jeff Shackler about this. Obviously the only domino that matters is tiger Correct. and whoever has tiger has all the power, all the leverage, everything that you would need. So I don't know. I, I don't know where we go from here really. You know, here's a perfect to encapsulate the issue with what's going on. There's a lot of buzz about it the last couple of weeks. And then what did we lead this podcast with? How good this past week was. I know. It's I know. A great. It's a great tournament with history. It's a tournament with a big purse that everybody wants to play in and whose name is on it. Tiger Woods. So is Tiger going to take that tournament to an upstart organization somewhere? Because that is, that, that has to be the change. Is Tiger going to pack up his bags when he sees the impact that it's having on his foundation, the fact that they've made it an invitational, all of the amazing things that came from it? You'll have my attention if all of a sudden the next report that Shaq is breaking somewhere says, you know, the people at the TGR Foundation and Riviera are in talks to join the PGL. And then you'll have my attention. When that, well, that sort of starts to happen, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, that, that's the one thing that you can't generate as a, a new league is is history, and it matters that the LA Open has been around for forever. It matters that Riviera is a hundred years old. Like that stuff, that stuff is meaningful uh, to a lot of people, not just fans, not just media, but to a lot of different people that matter. And you can't you can't create that unless you are somehow purchasing it whatever that means or bringing it along you're bringing along the memorial you're bringing along the arnold palmer invitational because that's just been around for you're bringing along colonial which has been around for forever because otherwise you're just gonna have a bunch of oman opens for like 20 mil and it's like i don't know do i care about that i guess maybe i will if like rory and tiger are playing but not really how many players care about it? How many American players or Americanized players? And by that, I mean the Rory's of the world who have a life here and enjoy their life here. Also, I mean, Rory understands the reality of where he wants to be and where his brand needs to go to be an ambassador for the game beyond here. But, you know, he's an Americanized type golf superstar. And how many actual American superstars are like, hey, you know what, I'm making five, six million a year plus endorsements here. I might be able to get a 20 percent pay raise, but I got to get on a plane and go halfway around the world 15 times a year to be able to make that happen. And once they have kids and everything. Okay. I mean, again, I'm a cynic by nature, Kyle. So I, but again, early on, like there was just not a whole lot of teeth there and maybe we'll get a lot of teeth later. And if there are a lot of teeth later, then we'll completely revisit the conversation. But coming off of the week that we just had, uh, look, I'm on golf Twitter with everybody else and I understand we can poke holes through a lot of things and we can nitpicks all over the place about what's wrong with the game and how it's being covered and how boring it might be at times. But this past weekend, there wasn't a whole lot that was broke that needs to get fixed, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the bottom line is for those guys, for the Rory's and Tigers and and John Roms of the world, is there has to be some mechanism in place where they get paid no matter what happens. Some revenue sharing model right. where the stars and superstars are making money, whether they go out and finish T five at, at Riviera or or not, because they're being, you know, the PGA Tour and these organizations are making money on them, and the, and and in every other sport, you get paid. You you know, you you're you're LeBron, you get paid. No matter no matter if you go out and put up 
you know, uh, 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 zeros across the board for 10 straight games, you're getting paid. That's you not pay for load management. You, you want to exactly. sit down and yeah, you're getting paid. Exactly. And in golf, that doesn't happen. And there, ha- I don't know how that will happen, but I imagine that is, that is sort of the outcome uh, of all of this as, as we move into the future. I've heard more veteran players that are for the idea of paying everybody in the field than I actually thought that I would hear. I, I yeah. figured the old guard would say, no, like you got to make the cut to get paid. I've heard more guys, especially guys who played back in the day when it really didn't pay that well, even when you did make the cut, to be like, man, my life would have been so much easier if I knew that just maybe my expenses were covered. Now I understand that doesn't matter to a, a big-time player. But I could see some of the trickle down with all the money that's flowing in, new TV deals and all these other sorts of things, finding a way to give the players a little bit more uh, than just simply appearance fees for the big guys that you actually yeah. have the ability to pay all 144, 156 guys on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, my kids just walked into my uh, content-making shed out here. Um, they probably have some PGL takes as well. What, let's talk Mexico, Will. Um, mm. Are you going? No. Okay. So neither of us are going. We're going to watch on TV. Uh, what, what is the, what's the number one storyline going into this week? Because I, I think you've got, obviously you've got Tiger skipping. Uh, you got a lot of guys skipping. A lot of guys skipping. Yeah. Brooks Kepka, Patrick Cantlay, Ricky Fowler. Uh, I think Henrik Stenson was in there. There's a lot of guys that are not playing this week. What is the preeminent storyline going into the first WGC of uh, twenty second of the of the season, but the first of twenty twenty. I think it now has to be Rory because of what happened on Sunday. You know, he he's number one in the world again. He played like a number one in the world until he got to the fifth hole on Sunday, and so now here he goes to another tournament with a big field, and he doesn't have to worry about the shadow of it being Tiger's event and all the other tension that's going on there. It's I know we're not going to see angry Rory because Rory has removed angry Rory from himself to become <laughs> a wonderful human being. He's, I mean, he's a great person and to achieve what he's done and then realize at 30 that he needs to prioritize better things in his life. I fully commend him for it. But at some point in time, there needs to be that sort of gut check moment for Rory and maybe it's going to come at Augusta, but the last time, most people saw Rory McIlroy play golf. He was sort of whimpering away from Adam Scott yesterday. So does he show up on a golf course that he knows he can overpower, that he was in the mix last year in, that he's got the odds-on favorite? I mean, if you're a DFS player, he's $500 more expensive than DJ. I mean, he's ridiculously That's priced crazy. this week in terms of his odds and everything, too. So, like, is he going to show up like the alpha when Brooks isn't there and Tiger isn't there and swing it around like he's the alpha? Yeah, I, I agree. Did you see what he said, by the way, about, I, I don't know if you read the Irish Independent, uh, interviews with him and, and Paul Kemmage. Did you see what he said about rooting for Tiger at last year's Masters? Did you happen yeah. to see that? Yeah. I, I thought that was so interesting because he was talking about how when he first saw that Tiger was in the lead, he gets back to his house or hotel or whatever. And he was like, uh, I don't know if I want to root for this because he knew that all the attention, all the questions for the next however many months, would only be about that. Sure. And I thought that was such a an honest cuz like if you and I are being honest, it's like man, I I'd kind of love to talk about Adam Scott, like in lieu of talking about Tiger 24/7. Right. And and I thought that was a really interesting thing and and I'm glad you brought it up because that is going to be the case in Mexico this week. We're not going to be on Tiger stiff 
back watch. We're not going to be on, you know, is he, you know, what's wrong with the wedge game from 140 and, you know, whatever. Like, there's none of that. We just get to focus on uh, these other guys who are, the, who are the best in the world right now. You're the number one player in the world. You went triple bogey when you had the lead of a golf tournament on Sunday after you became the number one player in the world. You're on a golf course that if you play the way that you should, you eliminate 95% of the competition. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you throw, yeah. it's a, it's a good field, but if Rory plays to Rory's level, there's what, maybe eight, nine guys that could actually yeah. challenge him in the field through the course of the week. So I think it's fair. And again, like, I love who Rory is. I love how open Rory is. I love how kind Rory is. I love everything about Rory McElroy, but I am fascinated with this idea of the alpha gene. And when you look at players, and we've talked so much about Kobe Bryant the last few weeks, and everybody talks about Mamba mentality, and it's like Kobe or Michael Jordan or some of these guys, Like the, the, the fact of the matter is those guys were really difficult to get along with as professionals, as teammates, as people, because their drive to win, their killer instinct was so strong that it really alienated them from other people. And then you have someone like Rory who has this gravitational pull to him from his peers and from us and from everybody. But what does that mean for his edge? So at what point in time does Rory challenge that edge? When he says to, to the media this week, Kyle, that he doesn't set goals of winning specific tournaments, and I know people that have backed him up for that because of, you know, luck can get involved and all these other things. All he wants to do is focus on playing really good golf and it'll sort of settle itself down. It's like, okay, okay, I get that. I think that's okay outside of the two or three tournaments that you really know you need to win, Rory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. I think the flip side of that argument is like, look at the players last year. You know, like he, he faces some adversity. Uh, I think he made a double early on and he comes back and he, and he does it. Like he closes it down the stretch. And so I, I think that, I think that's, it's there. Um, we don't always see it because sometimes it, it doesn't play out like that. Uh, but it, it, it certainly, it is a different, he's a different person than he was when he was 23, 24, 25, uh, you know, four major Rory, uh, first ascended to number one in the world. He's just a different human being. And so. Oh yeah. I don't know. I think he's smarter about the way that he plays and he doesn't, he doesn't, um, I don't know. It seems like he doesn't have to exert himself as much to get the same amount out of himself as he does, as, you know, as he used to. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just all nonsense. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I think that he, I think he's, wiser and better at, at, at managing himself in these courses. And I think one thing that's interesting, you talk about Riviera and, and I, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's obvious why Adam Scott and Rory would play great at Riviera. They're the best ball strikers. You go to, you go to Mexico. It's like the complete opposite of Riviera. Oh yeah. And so who like, does that translate there? It has for Rory over the past few years. And uh, it has for DJ over the past few years. It, it seems to, it seems to not matter where those guys play, where John Rahm plays. John Rahm wins all over the world. What, what are, is that a storyline to you going from Riviera down to Chapultepec and, and the WGC Mexico? Still Poe Greens, I'm pretty sure. So there's a little maybe. bit of familiarity. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe a little familiarity there, but no, I mean, here's the thing. It's, we're going to go back to what we said before. Like, 
you get you get called a hypocrite when you say you can't overpower Riviera because of who has won there. But the fact of the matter is, when you put a really strong field in there, the guys who hit it long and are really good ball strikers are going to win no matter where you really play. If DJ yeah. Adam Scott and everybody showed up every year and played Harbor Town, sure. You know, Matt Kuchar might still be in contention and putt out of his mind like he did this past week, but we just know that if you can hit it pretty far, it doesn't really matter what golf course, you'll figure out a strategy to be able to get around a little better than everybody else. Um, yeah, I, I think you've got enough guys that are good, great, no, not, not good, great, phenomenal all around players where you would expect this week there to be some weekend drama with a couple of high names rising because we, unlike Riviera, Kyle, we've seen with this tournament, two or three superstar players can just separate and run away. Yeah. And that is probably something that you'd look forward to more here because we knew Friday, Saturday, even Sunday morning that no one was going to win by seven shots at Riviera. Yeah. That we were going to have that weird, crazy seesaw back and forth back nine like we had. We, we don't necessarily know that in Mexico City, you could have a difference of 40 shots between first and last. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you played, uh, Harbor Town every week that Luke Donald would would be the number one player in the world right now. They probably probably <laughs> would be, but when, when has DJ ever played that tournament? Yeah, no, that's true. Did, has he played it? I thought, uh, I thought he uh, did play it one time. This is where I need to have stuff in front of me. I could probably find that out pretty quickly, but I mean that's think about that and it's like okay, yeah, I understand that you can't overpower that golf course. It's a it's a perfect design against the distance sort of gains and everything, but. I don't know, like if, if Rory really wanted to focus on it, would, he, you know, like how, how much better would he be than Luke Donald? I'm looking it up. Hold on. We're going to get yeah, to the bottom our, of this. Our producer, Jacob said he, and I was just reminded of this. He, he does play it because he's an RBC guy. So he, uh, uh he's played it, I think the last few years, but, um, okay. What other storylines in terms of going from Riviera to Mexico. It's it's two really good weeks in a row in terms of fields. Who are the other guys or what are the other storylines that you're looking forward to this week? Well, I mean, I think it's there were so many guys in the field at Riviera. Oh, by the way, I got the DJ. He's played it four times, including the last two years, T16, T28 for Dustin yeah. Johnson at, uh, at Harbor Town. Okay. Um, you know, I think you've got some guys that we didn't even see last week. I mean, Webb Simpson took last week off. Yeah. And I think he's probably the most – underappreciated guy over the last 10 months and it was yes. gratifying and validating for him to win the way that he did in Phoenix because he was doing things that most players do that would lead to two three wins in a stretch of golf and so he got the win he's the only guy in the top 10 in the world that doesn't play this past week so I'm kind of curious to see what a week off of watching and a couple of weeks off of basking in the glow of that win if Webb still shows up and is right there you know t4 t5 to be honest with you, if I was betting this week on who was going to win, I love Tommy Fleetwood this week. We didn't see Tommy last week playing really good golf consistently through the end of last year. Has, you know, some, some good runs here. You want to talk about, you know, great ball strikers, sneaky long, can kind of do some things. So a couple of those guys are getting introduced back into it because right now we're in that sort of run up to the players and then to Augusta where we're just going to see all of these guys week in and week out. So I want to know going to, Sawgrass, you know, who are the six hottest players in the world right now? Because I really feel like we've been served up so many guys that are playing at an elite level right now. And so now it's, I want to separate the contenders from the pretenders. You know, like, is this Justin Thomas play well, miscut, play well, miscut? Like, what's going on with JT's game? Is this a settle down week for him? Or are we in some sort of trend of, uh, of inconsistency? Like, what's going on with all these guys who we expect to be contenders when we start hitting these big tournaments? Yeah, for sure. Uh, by the way, the, the 
leaderboard from last year's Mexico championship, the top 10. So DJ was at 21 under. Rory's at 16 under. Ian Poulter, Paul Casey, and the Barn Rat at 11 under. So DJ beat them by 10. Yep. And then you got Sergio Cantlay, Cam Smith at 10 under. You got J, uh, JT at 9 under. And then you got Tiger, Juice Luton, uh, Keegan Bradley, and David Lipsky at uh, 8 under. All the that's, an, that's an unbelievable leaderboard. That is. That is. And I mean, I don't really remember watching much of it because it just <laughs> felt like, didn't Rory drive it behind a tree early or something and then it was over? He tried to, he tried to get a drop from, uh, from oh, like, that's right. Like a, he, there was like, he, he, he looked like, uh, Albert Pujols, like trying to, to set up for his shot so that he could get relief. And then finally it was like, yeah, you're not, you're not getting relief here. No. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, that's the only thing I remember from last year is Rory behind a tree trying to get a drop, and it didn't matter because DJ was going to lap the field. That's all I remember. And, and like, where's like DJ all of a sudden is a non-factor this past weekend, and then you blink, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's going to win this golf tournament on Sunday yeah. afternoon, and then tugs two pretty easy shots at 12 and 13 left that really cost him a chance to be relevant in that tournament. But aren't we just kind of lurking on the edge of that Dustin Johnson five-shot win? He continues the win streak year in, year out. I mean, I, he can't sustain a level of play like he was when he was number one player in the world. I mean, he's getting up there. But at the same point in time, you just expect there to be a week where he's just going to run out and win a really big golf tournament by four or five shots. And we run the stat up there about how many years in a row Dustin Johnson has won. <laughs> and and then we just rinse, repeat, and recycle for next year. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like the Tommy Fleetwood call, too. He's finished – I think this is the fourth year that it's been uh, in Mexico. So 17, 18, 19. He finished top 20 uh, all three years. He was second back in 2017. He lost to DJ by a stroke, um, in the first time, the first time it was played in Mexico. So, uh, it should be fun. Another guy that, you know, we talk about on here a lot and that I have kind of been keeping an eye on, especially the last couple of weeks, Pebble and, and Riviera is Jordan Spieth. And, you know, so much promise at Pebble closes out there really well, finishes top 10. You're like, okay, here we go. And then he was just, not good at Riviera. I mean, 66th in, uh, in approach shots. His iron play remains all over the place. Uh, what, I mean, what are your expectations for him for the rest of the year? Well, the one thing that I thought we found a little bit late last year was that the putter was behaving itself. And now that we've got shot link, uh, to begin 2020, I mean, he's lost strokes on the green in three out of four starts so yeah. far this year. I mean, outside of, you know, a good, a good week at Pebble. Um, if look, even when Jordan was the number one player in the world and we probably were overlooking some of the issues in the long game portion of it, he was a generational short game talent. So he has to be one of those guys that's going to gain, you know, close to a shot around maybe probably a shot and a half when it comes to putting it around the green. Like it just has to be for Jordan Spieth to be relevant because he just doesn't have the ball striking consistency to be there. I, I mean, when you look back at those magical seasons, of Jordan Spieth, you know, in 2015, he was gaining 1.1 shots putting and around the green, which was about what he was gaining in approaching off the tee on average in 2015. So if you think about that, half of his gains were coming around the greens, whereas most of these guys that are tops in the world right now, the Rory's of the world, really outside of last year, are gaining two-thirds, three-quarters of their strokes gained from tee to green. Yeah. And so until Jordan comes back to being the best short game player 
in his generation, that, that's going to be sort of hard. And he had a couple of short misses. I mean, watching him and Tiger, oh my lord! I mean, it was it was painful to just yeah. sort of see them not scare the hole when you know they have to jam those little four footers and they're just hitting complete shutdown poles. Uh, it, it's it's still kind of hard. So it's a work in progress. Um, I admire the grit. I admire the fire. You know, he's one of the most competitive guys that's out there, but I think we're still in a holding pattern for sure with him. Some of those tiger putts were just astonishing. I could not believe what I, what I was watching. Did you walk with him at all when he, when he, no, um, no. So, I mean, we, you know, I'm, I'm behind a bank of monitors, you know, from the hosting duty standpoint. So uh, Dennis Paulson was out with him with our coverage when he picked him up. And the one thing that Mark Carnival, our analyst, that this past week and I kept looking at is, you know, if he three puttered a green, it wasn't the five footer that he missed. It was the fact that when the ball went by the hole the first time, it was 18 inches offline, 24 yeah. inches offline. I mean, that was the stuff to me that was, is he looking at the line? Is it a really bad misread? Are we mechanically, you know, what's going on here? I started the week with that first round going, man, he looks really sharp. We know how good he's been T to green. The last three or four months, like since the surgery, he looked fit. He looked trim. I was like, this is probably where Tiger needs to be in his physical transformation as he gets into his mid to late 40s. And then all of a sudden at the end of the weekend, he's tired. He has no distance control. He can't hit a putt. And he's telling Henny that he has to gain more weight and get back into the gym more. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? What happened in 72 hours? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, okay. We are going to give our early one and done picks. Uh, we're not going to hold you to it. You can switch it later in the week if you want. Uh, I took a big lead in our CBS one and done, uh, league over the weekend because I had Adam Scott, our first winner of the year. So, uh, I want to, I want to know who you're leaning toward as we head into the WGC Mexico championship. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. What, you gave me Tommy Fleetwood earlier, somebody to watch. Is that, is that the direction that you would lean for one and done? Or what, what are you thinking here for, for Mexico? Yeah, I would probably lean that direction just because if, if I'm looking at a one and done for the year, um, I'm going to hold, there are plenty of other names that I'm holding in reserve for, you know, the major championships and other things that are coming up. I think Tommy is a pretty good play at the players. He's a pretty good play probably at the PGA this year at Harding. I mean, I think there are some places where I would like Tommy Fleetwood's game. But, yeah, I already mentioned him, so I would just go ahead. I, I'd float it out there. Although, you know what? 
I wouldn't mind a DJ burn this week, to be honest, because I, you just don't know like where the knee and everything the rest of the year, given his history on this course, I could make a play to be like, you know what? If I'm holding Brooks for a U.S. Open and Rory for here and maybe even Tiger if he shows me something later on, then I could almost see a DJ burn early. But, I would, yeah, my guy would be Tommy Fleetwood. I, I like the DJ call. I, I honestly I, – I can't believe I'm about to say this. I might go Rory here because I, I don't know – you know, you, you, you think about using somebody like that at, obviously at a major championship or at a player's where he won last year, but – which major like I, I you know he didn't I guess PGA I guess Harding Park uh, obviously he's yeah. had success there but it just feels like a it, it, it you know the way you said it feels like a, a DJ five-stroke win I could see the same from Rory this week in Mexico I could see the same thing too and I mean if you have a gut about someone that's going to win what's the harm in doing it because I mean, I'm already looking at the list and I'm like well I can almost promise you that I'm going to waste Adam Scott in 2020 you know it's like i'm gonna get to the end of the year yeah. like how did i yeah. not play adam scott like i mean he, he won early and then all of a sudden you're into the fedex cup playoffs and you still have like john rom sitting around and somebody else sitting around and you get the tour championship and you're like dang i still have paul casey and paul casey always finishes top five here and i'm like man you know what there goes adam scott man i didn't use him for the whole year and he wins like five times or something yeah. like that like player of the year i never use him yeah no i i could totally see that happening um okay well we will give our official one and done takes uh, later in the week. But uh, yeah, keep it on CBSSports.com all week for uh, WGC Mexico Championship coverage. Will, I appreciate your time. It was fun to chat, as always. And uh, you can check out Will Haskett at Will Haskett, uh, Perfect Number Podcast, PGA Tour Radio, headed out to the Prestige in California to cover some college golf later this week. Will, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kyle. I hope uh, Mark unfreezes at some point in time. <laughs> Mark, Mark's got some technical difficulties to figure out. In the meantime, everybody's listening can go uh, subscribe anywhere where podcasts are found. Uh, rate, be sure to rate and review us. That's very helpful. Uh, my uh, producers and bosses enjoy that. So go and do that, and we will be back later on in the week. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.